I'm Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at the Village Church, and I'm really grateful to be with you this morning as we continue our series, The Prayers of the Bible. And this morning, I have the privilege of opening up uh, Matthew chapter 6 with us and looking at the most famous prayer in the Bible. Matter of fact, I think this morning we're looking at the most famous prayer in the world, or the most famous prayer in the history of the world. Um, don't be concerned, this won't be the longest sermon in the history of the world. Um, I want to give you a chance to pray through the Lord's Prayer here a little bit this morning at the end of our time. But this morning we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, literally the most famous prayer in the history of the world. And as I've been preparing for this series and preparing for this sermon as well, um, I've been reading a number of books on prayer, some of the ones that are in the back shelf there, and, um, and rereading some books on prayer. One of the books I'm reading on prayer right now is called The Praying Church, or Finishing This While I Was Up at Hume Lake. It's by Paul Miller. You might be familiar with his book, A Praying Life. And Paul Miller's now written a book, A Praying Church. And I was reading the book up at Hume while the family was away on vacation. So we're up at Hume, and one day I'm sitting on the grass at Hume Lake, which is one of my favorite places, if not my favorite place in the world. And um, all the sounds of all the campers and the things going on and seeing the sights in front of me and just sort of reading God's word and then reading books that are pointing me in that direction and his direction, this being one of them. I was reading a chapter in a praying church and Paul Miller said this, even though preaching plays a significant part in his ministry, the disciples never ask Jesus to teach them to preach. They can preach, they don't know how to pray. And when I read that, the Garens can tell you, the Garens were sitting a few yards behind me and our, our chairs were both facing the lake and so they were just probably looking at the back of my head as I was reading my book in my chair and I got up out of my chair and I walked over to look for, for um, Kyle and Melissa and I found them and I said, and I, and I got down and I said, I, I, gotta, I gotta read you something. And I opened the book and I read the quote and I said, well, I've been a Christian a long time and, and I've been in ministry a long time, but I've never read anyone say this. Never read this from anyone, that the disciples never asked Jesus how to preach. Apparently they knew how to do that. But the disciples do ask Jesus how to pray. Apparently they didn't know much about that. They're, of course, referring to, Paul is referring to Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer where it says Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And so as I walked back to my chair, the thought occurred to me, Paul Miller observes about the first disciples. They can preach. They don't know how to pray. What I think is also true of many, if not most, disciples we can preach, we just don't really know how to pray so much. And it dawned on me that I think we know how to talk about God. We're just not really that good at talking to God. We know how to talk about God, and especially in our stream and sort of the tribe that we run in in our church. We can talk about God all day long. It's just hard for us sometimes to talk to God. We even see this sometimes, I see it in our Apprentice Academy, which is, which is our, our, our most rigorous discipleship training center and academy and, and program of track, if you will, here at the church. And sometimes we're in Apprentice Academy, we're really just getting ready to talk about the atonement or covenant theology or the Trinity or something, and everyone's like really pumped up. And I say, hey, could someone just open our time in prayer? And, and sometimes it takes a moment for someone to be like, yeah, I will pray 
to God in front of other people in this setting. Like, we're just, we know how to talk about God. Sometimes I think we just need a little help talking to God. We are good at talking about God. We're just not always as good at talking to God. And you might, well, you know, wonder why is that? And I, I think in part the answer might be something like, I don't really think we think rightly about prayer. I think, I think that we have too many misgivings about prayer. We're not thinking rightly about prayer. And those misgivings about, or misconceptions rather about prayer lead to misgivings about prayer. And the misgivings that we have about prayer, like, oh, I just don't know, they lead to us missing prayer or missing out on prayer. And so if missing prayer or missing out on prayer begins with those misconceptions about it, I thought I'd just like to take a few moments to, to clear up some of those misconceptions this morning because I think that's what Jesus is doing. I'm just sort of going to piggyback on the misconceptions I think he is clearing up this morning about prayer for his disciples. And I think that is what Jesus is doing, and especially in this section. This week in our scripture reading plan, we ended in Matthew chapter 5. Is that right? And so we began the Sermon on the Mount, and actually in God's providence, tomorrow in our scripture reading plan, you will read Matthew chapter 6. I think he planned it that way. But in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is clearing up misconceptions about all kinds of things. If you look at the context of chapter 5 and chapter 6 and what follows in 7, and even the place that the Lord's Prayer is located right here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is clearing up misconceptions about all kinds of things like anger and lust and marriage and divorce and giving and fasting and also praying. And I think Jesus is doing this because, again, his disciples, like us, have lots of misconceptions about a lot of things, including prayer. The disciples generally thought that you would pray three times a day, and they would go to pray three times a day. If they were good Jewish boys and young men and men, they would go and pray three times a day at fixed hours. But they had seen Jesus go and, and pray all the time. Jesus prayed as often as he needed, and they were probably wondering, what is going on? They had some misconceptions about prayer, so they're wondering, what is going on with this? And Jesus knew that, and Jesus saw that, and so Jesus spoke into that. The disciples thought that prayer was done mostly with other people. They would go up to the synagogue at these fixed hours of prayer, and they would pray with other people. But they saw Jesus awfully, often withdraw to like a stone's throw away as all kinds of people were around. Jesus would withdraw to a little, little spot, sort of a stone's throw away, and he would pray earnestly to God on his own. And they were probably thinking, what is going on with that? They had misconceptions about prayer, and Jesus, again, sees it. Jesus knows it, and so Jesus speaks into it. And they likely thought that prayer was something that would be, be done in a posture of, of some kind of impersonal reverence. They, but they had heard Jesus use the word Abba, use the word Father in prayer. Matter of fact, right before this, he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, as he declares a prayer out loud publicly, he calls God his father, and he calls him the Lord of heaven and earth at the same time. And they likely did not know why. This is likely the first time any of God's people had heard anyone pray to God and address him as father. This is possibly the first time in the history of the world that anyone had prayed a prayer and addressed God as father. And again, Jesus knew it. Jesus saw it, and Jesus spoke into it. And then this morning, as... Uh, 
modern day disciples, maybe you feel what those disciples felt. You have some misconceptions about prayer. And I just want to reassure you this morning, Jesus knows that. And Jesus sees that, and Jesus speaks into it, and in part through the Lord's Prayer. And so we see the first misconception here in verse 5 where he says this. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. I think the first misconception is this, that Jesus clears up. Prayer is not about impressing God and others. Prayer is about being intimate with God and others. This is what this is about. Prayer is not about impressing God and others. It's about being intimate with God and others. And I think one of the misconceptions that we have when we think about prayers, we think that the most spiritual people pray the most eloquent prayers. They pray the most impressive prayers, and they're not afraid to do it publicly. When we gather, the most spiritual people pray the best prayers, the most impressive prayers. Like, those are the most spiritual people. And Jesus actually speaks into this misconception in a number of ways, but one of the ways he does it, I think, is by actually kind of poking fun at this idea a little bit. Actually, Jesus uses what I think is a comical picture. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. And in that day, it would be like, don't be like the people who put on a mask. In that day, as many of you know, the theater was a big deal and the people would go to theater and there would be one actor, but he'd have many faces that he could kind of switch around going into different scenes. And Jesus saying, don't be like that. Don't be a faker and don't make prayer some kind of theater. You're not putting on a show. This is not prayer as theater. This is prayer as relationship. I think people in our day would rarely, if ever, do something like this stand on a street corner and pray out loud. We may have seen someone like that. You may see them while you're driving by. They might be holding a sign. People in our day rarely do these sorts of things to put on a show as they pray, to try to impress God and to try to impress others. But we have our own ways of getting public recognition when we pray, I think. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting and and someone changes the inflection of their voice, and you're thinking to yourself, like, you never talk like that. You just never talk like that. Like, you talk normal, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, God. You know, you're like, dude, you, you don't usually talk like that. What is wrong with you? This is not normal. And, and sometimes I'm thinking, is, is something, what is going on with that? We change our voice we change our vocabulary. Some people are just talking normal, and then it's like salvation, sanctification, propitiation, circumcision, whatever, whatever long, big, you know, word you want to throw out. Got you. And, uh, and, and whatever word you want to throw out, we're throwing all these big theological terms out. It's like, you don't actually normally talk like that. And sometimes we change our posture. You know, and I got to tell you, I have found myself in that position before. I'm not poking fun at all of you. I'm, I think Jesus is sort of poking fun at this idea and kind of poking fun at myself a little bit. Like, I, I can remember times being in prayer meetings where I was with people that I really respected, and I wanted to pray good prayers. I wanted to sound good. I wanted to say the right things. I wanted to use big words so they thought, you know, that they'd be impressed. Like, oh, that guy's really spiritually mature. And that is not what prayer is about. It's not about impressing God or impressing others. 
the only reason God's impressed with any of us is because the, the image of his son sort of has been impressed on us because we place our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus. And when the father see, looks on us, he sees kind of the image of his son in some sense. And that's the, only, that's the only thing impressive about us is what Jesus has done for us. You're not going to impress God with your prayers. I'm not going to impress God with my prayers. It's not about that or impressing other people. It's about being intimate with God and being intimate with his people. And Jesus says there's actually a reward, though, for, for the people that pray this way. Change your voice, change your vocabulary, change your posture. He says, truly I say to you, they have received the reward. And the reward is the temporary recognition of the guys that were like, wow, Matt's pretty young, but man, that guy can pray. Like, he knows a lot of theological words, you know? Like, that was an eloquent prayer. And then they go about their day, and they'll never remember that again. We, I got my reward. You, you'll receive your reward. But the best prayers in my experience, the prayers that I have been most impressed with, I mean, honestly, the prayers that I've been most impressed with, or I would say it this way, the prayers that have most impressed me as I've heard them are prayers that are prayed by men who just have this sort of ongoing, intimate relationship with God. Two of my mentors over the years, both older men in their 70s and 80s, actually both in their 80s, give Martin and Dave Kraft, when both of those men prayed, it was just like they were continuing on a conversation with God. They used normal language because they just talked with God. They used a normal tone of voice because they were just continuing their conversation with him. They just used the normal postures of everyday life. And again, nothing against that. I mean, if you want to get on your knees or get on your face, you want to stand or raise your hands, all, all I'm saying is the posture of your body should reflect the posture of your heart. And if that's the case, praise God. But these men just sort of went about the normal routines of daily life, praying all the time, not on a fixed hour, although I think fixed hour prayer is great. We actually do an entire week on fixed hour prayer and apprentice. It's a great exercise. But not just at those fixed times, but an ongoing conversation with the Heavenly Father. Dave and Gibb would, would just be talking to me and all of a sudden say, well, Lord, so we just pray about that. We just pray that you would help Matt with this or that you would bless his church in this way or that it, it would just, it would just go, go in and out of conversation and praying. Those, praying. those are the prayers that impressed me the most because they used familiar language because they were familiar with God and God's familiar with them. Jesus says this is where prayer begins. Verse six, he says, but when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. He says, go into your room. The translation is literally go into the storeroom. So the storeroom is the place where a family in those days, generally on the ground floor, would have their most important possessions. So think about like the closet in your master bedroom maybe. Maybe that's where you have the safe that has all the paperwork with the life insurance and the stock stuff and, and maybe your wedding video, you know, and maybe there's another safe next to that that has other things in it, you know. But, but that's the most important thing placed in, in your house in a sense because like the most important things are stored there. So think about going to the most, most kind of like back crevice of your home where the most important things are stored where no one else can see and you're back there. You're praying in that place. That's what Jesus is referring to. It's the most private place in the average house. I think in our day, this would be the master bedroom, right? We all, we all know that, you know, when you're redoing your house, unfortunately, it's, it's the most private. It's the best place in the house, but in a sense, but it's always the last place to get attention, isn't it? <laughs> you give all your attention to all other places. And I think maybe we should flip that around. 
Master bedroom is the most important place in the house, I think, in some sense. It's the most private place. It's, it's the most intimate place. And this is what Jesus is saying. You go to the most intimate place in your house, you shut the door, and you pray to your Father who's in secret. Again, Jesus is not against public prayer. Jesus went to public prayers. Jesus prayed publicly. Jesus prayed out loud. People were hearing him as he prayed. Jesus is not against public prayers. Matter of fact, this is one of the places and the ways that we grow in intimacy with other people. Over the course of this uh, sermon series, we've been gathering the men on Thursday mornings right here from 6.30 to 7.30 to pray. To pray for themselves, their families, to pray for this church family, to pray towards Sunday. This Sunday, we had the men um, scattered throughout the sanctuary, and, and they kind of went over and prayed over all the seats, and we kind of ended our time doing that. It was an incredible time of prayer. And, and as I'm together with the men of our church, I'm getting to know them as they pray even better than I already do. And they're getting to know me as they hear me pray even better than they already do. And something about praying publicly with other people helps actually create intimacy, not just between us and God, but between us and one another. But we all need that relational closeness where we're praying with God in private. When we pray like this, there's also reward. He says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And if you're a Christian, you know what the reward is. The reward is intimacy with God. And the reward is intimacy with his people. And if you're a Christian who's part of a church family, and if you're a Christian who's part of this church family, and you participate in things that are going on in the life of this church family, and you're praying with the people in this church family, you know that that, that is a reward. That being intimate with God is the greatest reward we could have. And being intimate with his people is right there a close second. It's a beautiful thing to be intimate with God and his people. This is the reward. There's a second misconception that Jesus speaks to, and it starts in verse 7 and 8, where Jesus says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I think the second misconception Jesus clears up is this, that prayer is not long and complicated. It is short and simple. Prayer is not often long and complicated. It is just short and simple. The pagans in Jesus' day believed that the, the gods would hear their prayers when they prayed long and eloquent prayers, when they prayed mantras. The idea was that the gods are reluctant to answer their prayer. And so they have to pray eloquent and long mantras over and over again. Think about... Think about the, the hours of prayer that, that the Muslim faith engages in. Just mantras over and over again with body and with words. Think about our scripture reading plan and Elijah and, and the prophets of Baal. And, and think about this idea that, that we're, we're around this time in our scripture reading plan. And they're going to they're gonna cut themselves and cry out all day because, well, the gods are reluctant to answer their prayers. And they actually, they can't answer their prayers. See, the idea of a mantra is you're trying to prove your sincerity sincerity to someone who is not innately for you. So if you're praying that way, think about praying in a courtroom. Like the judge is up there, and I know we all know that we're innocent until we're proven guilty, but if you're standing in a courtroom, I gather that would be pretty intimidating. And you might be wondering, is that person, is the judge up there sincerely for me? Is he, is he really for me? Is he innately for me? This is what praying a mantra prayer would be like, is praying in front of someone that you don't necessarily believe is innately for you. But the idea of Christian prayer is that we have nothing to prove. We're not trying to prove ourselves to God. We're simply talking to our Father who is 
intimate with us and who is innately for us. Think of it as not as praying in a courtroom, but praying in your family room. He's not only intimately for us, he's intimately familiar with us. Your father who knows what you need before you ask him. He knows exactly what we need. So we just come to him and ask for the things that he already knows that we need. Just sort of like we're talking to someone that we know very, very, very well. I just want to tell you, as Christians, your, your prayers can be short and simple and sincere at the same time. Do you believe that? Your prayers can be short and simple and yet very sincere and substantial all at the same time. Because we're praying to our Father who's innately for us and who knows us intimately. He's intimately familiar with us. We're not trying to prove anything to him. Matter of fact, Martin Luther said it this way very shortly and succinctly, ironically. <laughs> prayers should be brief, frequent, and intense. Brief, frequent, and intense. I think that's a great formula for prayer. Brief, frequent, and intense. And I love this quote by Martin Luther because I think it's in line with what we talked about in our first sermon in this series, the law of first mention. This idea when the Bible mentions something for the first time that we need to key in on that. It's the Bible's simplest and clearest presentation of that con concept. And we see in Genesis 4 that the first mention of prayer in the Bible is that people began to call out on the name of the Lord. And so the first idea of prayer in the Bible is that people are crying out to God for help. And I love this quote by Martin Luther because I think he's keen on something that we can also sort of apply to the Lord's Prayer is that I'm not sure the Lord's Prayer is all that clean and quiet and rote. You know, I grew up, my mom's side of the family, I know many of you know this, is Italian Roman Catholic. And I grew up going to, you know, wakes and funerals and masses and visiting cousins and all this sort of thing. And I, and I remember going to the, the mass and it's just like, it's just like, it's just sort of a mantra, and this is sort of low. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's no passion. There's no passion in it. It's so quiet, it's not loud. And I think for, for Martin Luther, he's saying, no, 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 no. No, prayer should be frequent and brief and intense. And I think oftentimes when we come to the Lord's Prayer, and we're about to get to it right now, I think we need to rethink this a little bit. I'm not sure it's supposed to be so clean. Jesus is asking us to pray about some pretty messy stuff. And I'm not sure it's supposed to be so quiet. And definitely is not supposed to be rote. I think the Lord's Prayer can be messy and loud and passionate. It's about who he is and what he wants and also what we need. So Jesus clears up some misconceptions about prayer, and then he gives them a clear pattern, a clear pathway for prayer. Here's, here's how you do this. I just want to say two things before we open up the Lord's Prayer. Just before it, Jesus says, when you pray, Jesus is assuming that we will be praying and that we'll be praying often. And as I've said a couple of times before, Jesus says, not only when you pray, Jesus says, pray like this. I think he's assuming they will be obeying him, that they will be praying the Lord's Prayer, or they will be praying this pattern, if not the exact words, certainly the pattern. And I can just tell you, the times in my life that have felt most fruitful when I'm praying are the times where I've just committed, I'm praying the Lord's Prayer every day. I'm using that as a pattern for my prayer. And go figure, it just feels like a really robust time because Jesus said, pray like this. Verse 9, our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Jesus says we should pray crying out to God as a perfect father. I think the law of first mention applies here. I'm sure this is the way that Jesus prayed, crying out to God. This is the pattern of prayer in the Bible. And Jesus says that we should pray to God, crying out to God as a perfect father. I think some of us know how to talk about God, but we don't know how to talk to God because we have the wrong perspective of God. We aren't talking to him as father. And talking to God as father is really the foundation of prayer, according to Jesus. Father is warm. Father's welcoming. Father is wise. And Father is so many things, but Jesus is going to tell us a number of things that a Father is. A Father is strong. Thy kingdom come. Father is purposeful. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A Father is reliable. Fathers are reliable. Give us this day our daily bread. Fathers are forgiving and gracious and merciful and forgive us our trespasses as we also forgive those who trespass against us. And fathers are protective. Good fathers are protective. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus saying, as we come to pray, we come to a good and perfect father. And I know as I say that, some of you have an innate problem. You're like, well, I didn't have the best father, or I don't have the best father, and this is a little hard for me. And I want to say, I know, Jesus says, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's saying you're praying to a perfect father. That word hallowed means holy, perfect, or it means holy set apart, holy other. He's completely different than any other father. He is a perfect heavenly father. Listen to me. Your heavenly father is infinitely better than the worst father in the history of the world. And your heavenly father is intimately better than the best father in the history of the world. If you, had, if, you had the, if you feel like I had the worst father, your, your heavenly father is intimately better than that father. If you had the best father, I feel like I had the best father. I got no complaints. My heavenly father is infinitely better father than even my great earthly father. So if you grew up with a great dad, if you have a great dad, talk to God in prayer like you talk to your, your dad. You know, this week I needed something. This week I needed something, and, and I emailed my dad. And I'm a 49-year-old grown man, and one of the first people that I wanted to talk to was my dad. I've got a great dad. If, if you have a great dad, have a conversation with God like you would with your dad. And if you grew up with not the greatest dad, and you don't have the greatest dad, I would say, by God's grace, do your best to talk to God like, like that friend of yours who had the great dad talked to their dad. Like the, like the examples that you have seen in so many ways by God's grace in your life. We come to him as a father and we talk to him as a dad. And I, I want to say, I just want to pause and say, I think there's a little tension here with the word father. The word father is, is a beautiful word because it's relational, but it's also respectful. The word father is a relational word, but it's also a respectful word. And sometimes when I hear people praying through the Lord's Prayer, I hear them saying like, you know, well, here I am, Daddy, you know, and I think to myself, I don't know. I don't know. I just, maybe it's just me. I just, I just don't know. Like, I'm not sure that God's my, <laughs> I don't even want to say it on tape, but like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, I'm not referring to him as my daddy. And, and I'm also, you know, and, and, but at the same time, like, I, I, I'm not going to call him sir. 
Like I grew up having some friends that called their dad sir. And I'm like, I call my dad dad and my and father. So on one hand, you have this, this like ultra respect of, of fathers that they call their dad sir. They don't even call him dad. And on the other end, you got like a grown man calling his dad daddy. And I'm like, that's just sort of weird. Like, no, it doesn't sound respectful. And so I think there's a tension that's there. And I think some of us may need to get a little bit more real with the way that we pray to God. And we need to pray to him as a loving father. And some of us might actually need to be a little bit more respectful. Because he's not only a loving father, he's a perfect father. Jesus says, we need to pray to God as a perfect father, but there's more. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says that we should pray crying out to God for his power because he is a powerful father. This is, uh, I think, hard for us a little bit because our, our, our power wanes over the years, doesn't it, men? Our power wanes over the years, and, I, I just, and, and, and our kids grow up. <laughs> I remember when, when my son was, was young, I would throw him so high in the air, and I even remember being in this sanctuary, and, you know, some moms would be like, <gasps> you know, and I would just like, mostly grandmothers, I would be throwing him so high in the air, right, and then catching him when he comes down, and I could just toss him and... and as, as a young dad and as a young son, like, it just felt like there's so much power. Maybe he felt like I was really powerful. I got to tell you, when I try to throw him today, he, I, you know, <laughs> he gets about an inch in the air, right? It's a little hard for us to relate to, but you know the feeling. You remember when your dad was, was your dad in older years and, and you were in your younger years. And I remember my dad, like his his forearms were just huge. I remember as a boy, I just stared at him. I was like, he just is so strong. And I had this, he could do anything to help me. And, and that is the reality about our heavenly father. He has all power and all authority. He is a strong, powerful father. And I think fathers should be strong to show their family something about the strength of God, strong in all kinds of ways. He has enough power for the things that are going on in the lives of your kids, he has enough power for the things that are going on in the life of your marriage, your friends, your relationships. He has enough power to fix the things that are going on at work. He has enough power to fix what's awry with the finances. And he has enough power for everything. But I think there's more to this than there. I think it's, he has enough power for his kingdom principles to change not only our personal lives, but the life of the world, the systems and structures that are in the world. His kingdom come. That we're praying, your kingdom come, your power come, and invade all of the places in our world that need it. Politics and education and healthcare and the way of the kingdom needs to come in power in all of the areas and facets of life. This is what we pray for. Jesus says we should pray for God's power, but there's more. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said we should pray crying out to God for his purposes for his purposes. And I think one of the main reasons our prayer lives can fee, feel too small or too inadequate or too inept is because too, we offer too many prayers for our purposes, our little K kingdoms, rather than his purpose, his capital K kingdom, and his will be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're praying to God, we're pleading with God that the way it is in heaven would be the way it is on earth. What is the way it is in heaven? Instantly and perfectly. And we're praying, God, would you bring that down? And would you cause these things to be fixed now? And in a way that's, that's, that's good and right and true. 
Ultimately, God's purposes are for our salvation and our sanctification, the salvation of others. We should be praying all the time for people that don't yet know Jesus. Right now, we're getting ready for our open forum series in the fall with Search Ministries, and we got a whole group of people in our church praying through a list of 10 people. And we got, we got a couple hundred people that we're praying for by name that don't know Jesus. We should be praying for their salvation, and we should be praying for their and our sanctification, that we'd be more and more conformed in the image of the Son. This is the will of God. This is His will be done. Jesus said we should pray for His purposes, but there's more. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus says we should be crying out to God for his provision, literally for his provision, for his physical provision that we're provided for day in and day out. This reminded me of uh, our series in Ecclesiastes that we went through recently a few months back, and we read in Ecclesiastes 4, 5, and 6, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and striving after the wind. Give us this day our daily bread, and Sometimes we have this posture where we don't pray for that. We sort of fold our hands and we're lazy. And, and in Ecclesiastes, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. But oftentimes we take that two-handed approach where we're just trying to kind of get our shirt like this and just try to take as much as we possibly can. We're asking God, would you just fill it overflowing? Can't you how many times I've prayed that or I've heard that prayer? Lord, would you just bless me financially and just press down, shaken together, overflowing out everywhere? And Jesus is like, how about just like a handful of quietness? <laughs> How about just like give me this day, give us this day our daily bread. I'm working on a little project with my son and yesterday morning we were praying about it and we had already seen God's provision for this project in the morning and we sat down and I was talking to him about reading through the Lord's Prayer and how I sense we should be praying over these things more and so we said okay and so we sat down and we prayed over it and, and he prayed some very specific prayers about God's provision for the thing we're working together on and once you know, lo and behold, by, by the afternoon, God had provided the things that we needed. And I hope it was a good lesson to him. It was certainly a good lesson to me that God gives us our daily bread. I just want to say, and I need to keep moving, but I, I want to say this for just a moment. Sometimes you and I are the answer to the, the prayer of other people in this, to give us this day our daily bread. And I just want to just step aside and say, there are a couple things going on in the life of this church right now that are really beautiful. And they, 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 they have to do with the people in this church helping to answer the prayer, give us this day our daily bread for the other people in the life of this church. This church is a very generous church and you are helping to meet the needs of people that have significant needs in their life right now. And the people of this church are coming alongside. So as you pray, give us this day our daily bread, I want you to remember that you might actually be the answer to someone's prayer for that when you know that they have a need. Jesus said we should cry out for his provision, but there's more. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Jesus says we should cry out to God for his pardon. For his pardon. We have committed the greatest crime, the de-godding of God. And we owe the greatest debt. We owe an infinite debt to God for our sin. And cry out to God for his pardon. I want to tell you that this idea came from one of the men this week as we were praying at men's prayer on Thursday morning one of the men prayed something to this effect. And after we had prayed, I, I told all the men, you know, one of the beautiful things about gathering here to pray together as men towards Sunday is that the things that you pray impact whoever's preaching on a given Sunday. They're like, there are things that I'm talking about this morning that we prayed about on Thursday morning. Even though my sermon's done, it's get, this is getting inserted. <laughs> because God is speaking into the life of this church by his Holy Spirit through the people in the life of this church, through the partners in our church, not just our pastors, 
And it's a really beautiful thing. This was one of the points. The, the pardon for the greatest crime, the de-guiding of God. Tim Keller says that we have dethroned God in our hearts and that we need to ask God's forgiveness for the, these things. In Village Church, I just pray that we would have a forgiving culture in the life of this church, that this culture with this culture of this church would be marked by this. In Matthew 18, a number of chapters later, 12 chapters later, um, Jesus is going to tell a parable about a guy that was forgiven for much, and he went back and he, he didn't forgive someone who had owed him a little bit, and God doesn't like that. You know, God's forgiven us such a great debt, an infinite debt, and we should be forgiving one another. We should have a forgiving culture. I believe by God's grace we do. I want to encourage that. And lastly, this morning, Jesus said we should cry out to God not only for his pardon, there's more. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus said we should pray crying out to God for his protection. For his protection. This literally could be translated, lead us not into a test. Like the test that's meant to show us that we have what it takes to avoid sin by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. But when we're led in those places, kind of like Jesus was led in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4, when we're led in those places, Satan comes and tries to hijack those tests. He tries to hijack what God is proving, the progress that we're making. He wants to take advantage of it. He wants to exploit it. So we pray for God's protection from the world and from the flesh and from the devil. Like the world can tempt us in ways and our flesh can tempt us in ways and the enemy can tempt us in ways. And, and as we enter into that time of test, as we're praying for God's protection in it. As we wrap up our time together this morning, I want to tell you that one of the things that was really beautiful for me this week is God gave me a glimpse into just the realities of the truth of the gospel in the midst of the Lord's Prayer. And I hadn't thought about this in a long time, but I did this week. This idea that as you think about the Lord's Prayer, you can connect it to the truth of the gospel. And if you're not yet a Christian, that just means the good news, the good news that we believe is, is true um, about Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us, who he is to us and what he's done for us. You think about it, it's like, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And if you're not yet a Christian, we just want you to know that the Bible teaches that um, this is how everything began, that God created everything in the beginning. He's holy, he's perfect, he's apart from us, outside of us, beyond us, but he created a world for us that he can have a relationship with us in. And he is our Father, and our first parents, Adam and Eve, had a perfect relationship with God as the children of God in the garden, God as their Father. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why did the disciples need to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven? And the answer is because, well, we attempted the de-guiding of God, as Tim Keller has said, that we didn't want to follow his ways, that our parents in the garden decided that they wanted to disregard God, disobey God. They thought they could make a better kingdom, create a better life for themselves outside of him, so they sinned against him. And so now the disciples are having to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because... Well, we're about building our own kingdoms now that sin has entered the world. God wasn't content to leave us in that place. God will reveal himself to us. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a reminder. And maybe if you're not yet a Christian, you've had this reminder that somehow you're always provided for, that somehow that you're always taken care of, that somehow in God's common grace, the Bible says that, that God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, that everyone gets and receives certain blessings from God but you've seen that God's been faithful in some way. But there's more than that. It's not just that you see God's common grace, you see God's uncommon grace in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Forgive us our trespasses as we've also forgive those who trespass against us. You see, the Bible teaches, if you're not yet a Christian, that, that 
although we attempted the de-guiding of God and although we wanted to put God away and, and we wanted to live life on our own, that God wasn't content to leave us in that place, but he came to us in the person of Jesus Christ and that Jesus lived a sinless life on our behalf, a life we could never live. And Jesus died a substitutionary death on the cross and in our place and for our sins. All the weight of all of our sin and disobedience, all the weight of the de-guiding of God was placed on Jesus on the cross. And that Jesus died the death we should have died. And that Jesus rose to give us a life we could never have otherwise, a life that is now literally forgiven and free. We are forgiven of our sin and we're free to live our life the way God intended from the beginning. This is the truth of the gospel. When we place our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus as the Son of God who's come to forgive us of our sins, we are forgiven and we are free. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. We believe that Jesus is coming back, that we are living our life between the first and second coming of Jesus, and that he not only created a world, he's recreating the world, and he's going to return. And between now and then, we are living out this life that he's called us to live by his grace and by the power of his Holy Spirit, following the things that are in the Lord's Prayer, and, and, and that he's going to return one day again, protecting us along the way, and he will protect us and hold us until the end. There's an ultimate protection that we have as Christians because we're in Christ. And so if you're not yet a Christian this morning, we would invite you to Jesus. We'd invite you to place your faith and your hope and your trust in him. And this morning, we'd invite you to pray with us. And I want to invite all of you to pray. Would you bow your heads and would you bow your hearts with me this morning? If you're a Christian, you've likely prayed this prayer a lot of times. And if you're not yet a Christian, or you really don't know how to pray, I couldn't, I couldn't, you couldn't have a better example of how to pray than the prayer that we will pray this morning. And it's going to be quick, but it's going to be complete, the Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this. I want to invite you to pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I want you to invite you to address God as Father as you pray silently this morning with your head bowed, your eyes closed. Would you acknowledge to God that he's your Father this morning? Would you acknowledge that he's a perfect Father this morning? Maybe you're a person that's been praying to God as Sir you become a bit more real? Would you express to him this morning that I could become more real with you? I know you're my loving father. Maybe you're a person that is so familiar, maybe you've become a little bit irreverent, actually. You want to be a bit more respectful as you pray. Would you confess to him that you believe he's a perfect father? kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you ask him for his power and a place in your life today? He's a strong father. His strength never depletes, never regresses. Would you think about a big problem in the world something in the world that is broken, some system, some structure. I know a lot of our minds are on trafficking right now because of the recent movie. Maybe it's something else. Maybe just pray, God, your kingdom come into that. Bring your power to change things in this place, in this arena, this area of life.
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You just confess to him right now in this moment where you've been trying to build your own kingdom. Would you ask him for his empowerment by his spirit to live for his purposes and not just your own? Give us this day our daily bread. Would you just cry out to him for, for his provision? Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. You know the sin that you need to confess to him this morning. Would you take a moment to do it? that you need to forgive. They could live in your home. They could be at your work. It could be a relationship you haven't had in a long time. Forgive. Would you express your desire to forgive that person? not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Would you ask him for his protection? You know the thing that he's using right now to test you, to prove you, and by the power of the Spirit to show you that you have what it takes through the power of the Spirit at work in and through you. He's showing you your growth, but there's temptation in it from the world or the flesh or the enemy. Would you just acknowledge what that is? ask him for his protection. The good news this morning is we have a perfect father who wants a relationship with us and he's made a way for that through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We thank you for this Jesus in your name. Amen.